the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The big silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. All right. Hello, it's Karina here. Welcome back to the Big Silence Podcast. I'm so happy to spend this time with you. And my guest today, let me tell you, I am so excited that I had an opportunity to sit down with her and talk with her. I have taken her programs. I have read her New York Times bestselling books. Um, It is Gabby Bernstein. She has been transforming lives for 16 years, and I I love her history of where the darkness she came out of and the trauma she moved through. I really related with her on all of that. And I love her vulnerability as we talk about uh, addiction, the postpartum depression that she went through, and we talk about reparenting. I even asked her about her opinion on psychedelic therapy. Uh, Her new book, Happy Days, is out now. And in the show notes, you, we will link to where you can find it. Um, but yeah, I love Gabby's approach and just real humanness to mental health. So thank you, Gabby, for being a part of this and sharing your story and um, your passion to help others. So here we go. Let's do it. All right. Hello, Gabby Bernstein. Um, honored to have a conversation with you. I've been following you and doing your courses for years. I don't know if you know that, but um, I think the book first book I read of yours was "The Universe Has Your Back." Yeah, that's a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> I know how. So, okay, first of all, uh, very excited to have Gabby on here. Um, as you know, she's I, this is a mental health podcast, and Gabby has so many amazing conversations surrounding mental health, and that's how she has gotten into spirituality. And um, I am excited. I've been diving into your new book, Happy Days: um, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace. I mean, who? doesn't need to read this right now. 
that's how I feel. I feel the same. I think everybody needs to read that right now. I really do. Yeah. So did you write this book during the past two years? I did. I sold it. I sold it in the beginning of March, 2020 and wrote it in 2020. Wow. Edited it in 2021. That had to be a lot. I mean, I could barely get out of bed of parts of time of 2020 for you to write a book. And I've been writing my own memoir for five years. It's a, it's a, a tough place to go continuously and to get such heavy work done and talking about trauma and everything like that. For me, to write is to heal. For me, for me, everybody's got a different path, right? And in my world, in my life, I've written nine books in 11 years and every book has healed me. Yeah. And I know that if it is soothing and healing to me, then it's going to serve the reader. I know that. I just know that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I did start writing my book to you just as a healing and as a journal almost. But um, I love your story and I kind of want to go back there because you have... Number one, I want to go back to your childhood because I feel I have some questions about that because you speak about trauma and healing. And I know you were you were raised in a home that was very homeopathic and spiritual and you began meditation at a very young age. And then you um, went into more of a darker phase and addiction. And is there some way that you can explain like what led you to that? Well, I couldn't actually explain it until I was 36. Yeah. So I I did um I did grow up with with an introduction to spirituality. My mother was a meditator. She brought me to the ashrams. She I was named by the gurus and I had awareness around it and I also was brought up with the belief systems of homeopathic healing and and meditation and there's a lot of mantras and incense in my house. And that was a nice spiritual imprint that was planted. And it was helpful to me when I was in crisis, when I got older. My, but I was really depressed as in, in high school and in college. I was doing a lot of running from that by controlling every area of my life and lived with so much anxiety. And then in my early 20s, I became... Um, the president of a of my own company, <laughs> and I started a company that I represented nightclubs and restaurants, and I really got hooked into that scene, mm-hmm. the parties. Oh, I know that scene. You know that scene, baby. <laughs> I was in Hollywood and, for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for me, you look like you're twenty, so <laughs> something's working here. Okay, so I was, I was really hooked on the drugs and alcohol. I got really hooked on cocaine, and by the grace of God. I was able to get clean and sober at 25 with genuine spiritual intervention, I believe. And in my sober recovery, I started to pick up those spiritual beliefs that I had as a child and very quickly began to publicly speak about them and write about them. And the spiritual practices were the first line of response to my own recovery. But I still didn't know why I was a drug addict. I didn't know why I was a workaholic. I didn't know why I was so codependent until I was 36 years old and it was in 2016. And I started at the time was really cracking into something, but I didn't know what it was. And I was having extreme panic attacks and meltdowns. And within a few months of that, I had a dream. In the dream, I remembered being sexually abused as a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was the most terrifying moment of my life, but it was also relieving in a way Mm -hmm. because... 
now I can sit there and say, oh, that's why. That's why I was a drug addict. That's why I was an alcoholic. That's why, that's why, that's why, that's why. So you didn't have those actual memories, but they came back to you in a dream. And then did you go through therapy to try to draw that out and find out what really happened? No, my journey in therapy wasn't, has not been about trying to recover more memories or find out what, because that's not the style I chose. I chose a a therapeutic, I chose several different therapeutic styles that I put into this book that while that may be part of the process, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I would say I also, especially when you experience that trauma, you block a lot because I have experienced trauma and you lose those memories. And I'm not trying to get them back either. I love one of the therapies that you talk about in your book is EMDR, Mm -hmm. um, which Mm -hmm. I I have done as well. Yeah, EMDR is so soothing. I'll, I'll explain what it is. And it's also one of the therapies that really doesn't make you go back into the memory. I mean, you could be using it, doing the practice, which I'll explain on, you know, the fact that you're pissed off at your coworker and that will help you resolve something that happened in your childhood. You know, so it's, it's, it's all related, first of all. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And the premise is that there's bilateral brain stimulation. And when we hold a buzzer in either hand or have a buzzer in either ear or watch a finger back and forth and your eyes are moving back and forth, you're stimulating both sides of your brain. And so when you have that bilateral brain stimulation, it actually opens up your brain's window of tolerance to reprocess disturbances, energetic disturbances, belief systems, phobias, particularly in trauma. And so what you would do in the session is you'd pick the target that you're going to work on. And it does not have to be the original inciting incident. It can be, I'm outraged at my partner right now, you know, Mm -hmm. and this because they did this X, Y, Z thing. And you just focus on the target and you notice it in your body and you just talk about it if you need to, or you feel into it while you have this stimulation. And what it does is it allows your brain to reprocess the, the, the emotional disturbance. It allows your nervous system to settle. And in that settled state, you can really have the experience of reprocessing, mm-hmm. which is, you know, building a new belief system, building new neural pathways. Yeah. It's profound. It really is. Um, I would say maybe about eight years ago. I mean, as we know, it's always a process. There's always the work to be done. We keep growing, we keep healing, we keep working through trauma. But I will say when I experienced EMDR, I think I did nine or 10 sessions with my therapist. Uh, I, I The triggers, when it, what used to trigger me to have panic attacks or to just spin out, they went away. Mm-hmm. Totally, 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 totally. And what's beautiful about that is if you have like a small T trauma, you were bullied or, you know, you were told you were stupid, you could work it out in eight sessions. Mm -hmm. You have like a real complex trauma, big T trauma, sexual abuse or violence in the home or living through a catastrophic event. You would need more sessions, but as the sessions carry on, you start to feel the triggers start to subside and subside and subside. And those triggers are, uh, when they're less reactive, you can do deeper work. And so it's it's really a miraculous process. And I actually give practices in the book for how you can do some safe EMDR with through journaling. Mm-hmm. And 
with the EMDR music. And I give a lot of these resources so that, yes, I do recommend every step of the way, try this therapist, try the somatic experiencing therapist, try an IFS therapist as you carry on throughout learning my journey. But I also give you the tools that you can do in real time safely for yourself to introduce yourself to these modalities. Yeah. And I love that because you have nine different transformational um, things that you can do to heal and work through trauma. And all of them are very attainable, which is what I love because a lot of times people are like, simple things like, how do I even start meditating? But you're, the way that you guide people through in your book, anybody can do it and anybody can overcome the trauma and healing. And I love how open you are also about your own mental health. And I think that's the biggest thing a lot of people don't want to talk about is, you know, I've gone through situational depression. You know, I grew up with a schizophrenic mother and suffered. she had depression. But um, I love, you know, your conversation about having postpartum. Do you mind talking about that postpartum depression? Anything I wrote in this book, I better be willing to. (laughs) 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 So I was now at this stage in my life, I'd remembered the trauma. It was well into my trauma recovery. I had was four months postpartum in the backseat of my car with my my four-month-old and my husband's driving us to brunch for Mother's Day with my in-laws. And I'm in the backseat and I say under my breath, I want to die. Mm-hmm. And I meant it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I just got chills. Yeah. And we're sitting at my mother-in-law's kitchen table and I start crying and my sister-in-law is just consoling me. And my mother-in-law comes up to me and she says, every new mom has anxiety. And I said, this isn't just new mom anxiety. And months and months and months went, went by suffering with extreme panic attacks agoraphobia, depression, insomnia, and suicidal ideation. And the way that I was trying to fix it was through meditation and through prayer and through ashwagandha and melatonin and this holistic path that one, I was brought up with, and two, I lived and breathed this wellness industry because this is the world I've been in. And many of the my fellow authors would have very quickly kind of shunned any other idea mm-hmm. for for healing. And so the possibility of needing any kind of psychopharmacological support was totally off limits to me until I hit my massive final bottom, at which point my therapist had to intervene and she got my husband on the phone and she said, you need to see a psychiatrist immediately. You're having a biochemical condition. Mm-hmm. And this, you can't meditate your way out of this. And then I, yeah. yeah. And I got diagnosed right on the spot. Within five minutes, she's like, you have postpartum depression, anxiety. I didn't realize that po- that anxiety is a form of postpartum depression. And then she gave me a prescription for an antidepressant. And she looked at me and she said, listen, I know you're resisting this. And I kept being like, can I just be on the lowest dose? Like, you know, all that bullshit. And she's like, I know you're resisting this, but you've done so much beautiful therapeutic work and spiritual work. And this medication will give you a safe baseline to go even deeper in your trauma therapy. And she was right. Yeah. I mean, there's should not be a stigma about if you have to take a prescription drug. Of course, we all do. I, I get a lot of questions because I'm 
work a lot in the meditation space and fitness and working out to heal your mind and your body. And but if there's a moment when you need a prescription, you should take it as long you're because obviously, Gabby, you've done you are doing the work. Yeah. Uh, you're like I've done everything. I realized that like I was actually unconsciously part of the stigma. You know, I'd mm-hmm. have audience members say to me, "I'm super depressed" or "I'm super anxious," and having panic attacks, and I'd be like, try this meditation. And when someone's going through a biochemical condition, like postpartum depression or suffering from PTSD, and their brain is 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 in hyper arousal and extreme suffering, and their and their being is in extreme suffering, it's like saying fuck you to them to just be like, oh, just meditate. Mm-hmm. Because, I agree. Yeah. Because in those moments of acute crisis, the meditation is not going to work. It's when you get to that safer baseline, whether it be through medication or maybe something else, you can actually start to really feel the soothing benefits of the meditation. But to be very clear, I didn't just take the pill and just numb out. I went real deep, three therapy sessions a week. I used the tool. I used the medication as a tool to go really, really, really deep and to retrieve the the little girl who was abused and bring her back to safety. So uh, are you still on the medication? I am. Yeah. 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 I was pregnant. I was pregnant yes. three months ago with the five and a half, uh, five and a half months pregnant. And I stayed medicated through that. Pre- I, I lost the baby. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. lose the baby. I had to let go of the baby because mm-hmm. he was not getting what he needed. And I was on the medication through that pregnancy because there was no way in hell I was going to let myself go back into the postpartum experience. And then I stayed on that medication when I lost the baby. I was going to say... Really grateful to be medicated at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's got to be... I I can't... I say the word heavy, but I I don't know that experience. So I would imagine you have been going through now more trauma and more healing that needs to be done after that. You know, I'm understanding grief in a new way, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going through more trauma because yes, it was a very traumatic event. And I think there's definitely EMDR work to be done around memories and experiences from that, being in the hospital, all of it. But I was able to be in a place of real faith and resilience because of everything I've done, because of all the tremendous healing that my, my nervous system has experienced. And so now, because of all the hard work, I just respond differently. Yeah. Crisis. Do you have any advice because I actually get a lot of messages from mostly women on how to handle grief. I mean, obviously the tips mm-hmm. in your book, but specifically mm-hmm. grief. And I, I have a lot of friends and just everyone during this past two years losing yeah. a lot. I can for the first time, listen, I, I think there's two types of grief. There's grief from loss of someone or something. And there's also grief that is often at the final frontier of our trauma recovery or at the, you know, towards when we start to really heal, we have grief over the loss of our innocence. And that's really what I write about at the end of the book. But as it relates to grief over a loss of a loved one or a loss of a baby or a loss of a pregnancy or even a job or a romantic relationship, that kind of grief must be done slowly. You can titrate into it and then check out if you need to. I noticed right away in my early days 
following that loss that I was totally checked out. And I, because of my trauma recovery work and my training in internal family systems therapy, which allows us to look at the parts of ourselves that want to protect us, instead of letting that protector, that part of me that dissociates, which is a form of protection, instead of letting it, you know, take over and just like make me check out and get back into like workaholism or something, I was able to witness it and say, thank you. Mm-hmm. And say, thank you for doing your job. I need you right now. And when I'm ready to let you relax, I'll let you know, right? But I needed that dissociation so that I could be in it, mm-hmm. in the feeling for a moment, moment or an hour and then go back out of it. And if I faced it all at once, I would have been rocked, you know, just totally rocked. And so I, <clears throat> I believe that grief is something that we can feel into and then we can check out of and then we can feel into it and then we can check out of it because it's very, very painful to just sit in it. Mm-hmm. You have to allow yourself to have the moments of relief along the way. And sometimes those moments of relief may just be watching a show or, or you know, just checked out or... Or doing something that maybe you otherwise wouldn't do, but you just need to do it in that moment to feel to feel like you can get through. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I, for someone who has experienced grief and is in that grief, sometimes there can be a guilt for being in that grief for the end because those around you maybe don't know those emotions, those highs and those lows and those moments where you do just need to go sit in front of the TV. You need to escape. You need to sit in silence. You need to go do something or you then need to cry. And I think a a good message to everyone out there is um, just let those going through grief, let them flow through it and just be there as a a hug and a hand to hold and say, I'm here for you. You don't have to understand it. And don't question it. You know, a lot of my friends, they were worried about me. So they're like, are you? Are there things you need to feel? And I was like, oh yeah, there are, but I'm not there right now. You know, yeah. Right now, yeah. I want to talk about your baby or I want to talk about, and I did, I wanted to hold my friend's babies and I wanted to, you know, God wanted to hold. The, my grieving process also looks like this. <laughs> hey, I get it. That's why I have five Pomeranians. Yeah, yeah. I got a kitten. <laughs> I got a kitten. I got a baby. Oh, I, bought, I, I bought a baby. <laughs> is it girl and or boy? She's a fancy baby. She, she's she's a very gal. pretty. She's very pretty. She's, she's my baby. I mean, she's yeah. in the studio with me right now. She's super, She she's an angel reincarnated to support me at this time. I, pr- I promise you that. Yeah, I believe that. Animals are very healing. I was in the hospital about to do a DNE, to, which is an abortion, to yeah. let go of the child that was alive in me, which is so horrific. And I was on the phone with the breeder. Like, <laughs> me an like, animal. I need, and he's like, I'm putting you in front of everybody. And I'm like, thank you, man. <laughs> so I think a lot of people listening, um, I like how you talk about why most people feel stuck. And I think the hardest thing is getting past that stuckness and feeling like so many don't know like what the first baby step is. Do you have advice on how to break out of your stuck patterns and to get into the work and without feeling too much pressure. Because I think with all of these tools and these tips, everyone just kind of is like, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Well, I have, I help the reader begin. <clears throat> In the first two chapters, it's really about why we run and becoming brave enough to wonder. 
And so I, I have an inventory kind of system in the book that's that's like three questions you ask yourself in a row over and over after <clears throat> each trigger. So you notice what triggers you. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like when things got out of control at work. And then you notice how you feel. And I would say I feel outraged and I want to fix everything and I feel extreme anxiety and then and hyperarousal. And then you notice how you run from the feeling. And so my way of running from the feeling was to try to control the shit out of everything, take over, get in charge, boss woman comes up, you know. So as you start to take note of your triggers, how you feel and how you run from those feelings, you begin the inquiry of why your patterns are the way they are. Why, not even necessarily why, but that they're a pattern. That it's not just, oh, this is who I am, but it allows you to see it as a pattern. It allows you to see it as a a feeling that you might be running from. And that's just a very gentle way to help the reader begin the process of witnessing their feelings, witnessing their triggers, witnessing the feelings and witnessing their behavior with compassion and understanding. Yeah. And awareness, awareness is a big part of it. Yeah. And I think it's really good to talk about how just being aware and recognizing, not being afraid of it. And the reader is like, I, yeah, I think awareness and the presence is so important in the, the healing so interesting process. You just said, it's so interesting you said presence and awareness because a lot of this book also takes, in one of the chapters, I have a chapter called Reparenting Yourself where I take mm-hmm. the work of my friend, Dr. Dan Siegel. And I, my new friend, I just interviewed him yesterday on my podcast. <laughs> That's friend. Um, we're friends now though. And I interviewed... Uh, I, I took Dan's, some of Dan's work and the parenting mm-hmm. methods that I was practicing for my son and I turned them on myself. And some of the greatest parenting techniques are really being present and aware. Yeah, I, I was actually going to bring up the um, reparenting, or reparenting. It's something that definitely um, a lot of us do not do enough of. I've had to do a lot of that in therapy. Can you explain more about what reparenting is? Well, my my way I've created this model of reparenting for myself and for my reader is literally taking the parent the profoundly transformational parenting methods that I learned from the work of Dr. Dan Siegel and then applying them on myself. It was in 2020 we're like my husband and I run our business. We've got like, you know, 20 employees that were you know, financially responsible for. So you feel that pressure, right? And then you've got your little three-year-old, your two and a half-year-old at home and you're like working, you know, napping, picking up, you know, all of it was, it was, I can't even believe we all got through that parents, you know? And I started reading all the, I was just, I had the stack of Dan Siegel books that were gifted to me or I purchased when I was- I love him, by the way. I live for him. And- I finally got into them and I started reading them like rat, like rampage. I was like, no drama discipline, you know, you know, the, all the books on presence and just showing up and the power of showing up. And I just started getting into it because that's not what I experienced as a child at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all, mm-hmm. not even slightly. And so I was committed to giving that to my son, but very, very quickly in the process. And I was also writing this book, right? So I'm in this process of writing this book and being really conscious and aware of what I didn't get and that what I want to give to my kid and very real, very quickly realizing, well, wait, why can't I give that to myself? Mm-hmm. Why can't I be 
you know, do the four S's, which she has. It's just, it's, you know, uh, safe, seen, soothed, secure. Mm. How can I help my, myself feel safe? And some of the methods in the book, like a heart hold or breath practice, and I share all of it. And how can I help myself feel seen? And that's, you know, just like, Writing in my writing passages in my journal about how much I celebrate myself and 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 my recovery and just the minor moments, right? And how can I soothe myself? I can I can make sure I practice sleep hygiene and I do my therapy sessions every week and I ask for help, and then that creates a secure environment for me, little Gabby, and all of her parts. And so that was just radical for me to to just turn those parenting methods that were working so well with my child. They just, you turn on those methods genuinely and they just change everything. But they, but they really work when you've lived them for yourself. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've written notes to my, my little girl and helped raise the little girl who didn't have a mother. And it really, reparenting, and I imagine as a parent, we, do, we don't have children uh, for various reasons, but um, just- so you have fur babies. You I, do have children. I do. And I, I, I never understood that until now. Like mm-hmm. this little girl on my lap right now, she is my baby. Like I'm going away for a week and my husband- and she lives in my office, which is across from my house. And for my, my husband won't let her in the house yet. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and, but I mean, I'm here all day. So she gets a lot of me, but, but um, she's my baby. And I'm like, really, really, I'm like, oh, my son can ask for what he needs, but she can't, you know? And so these little fur bays, they're, they're, they are our children. They're our angels. Well, I actually have five Pomeranians and I do have a cat. So, which my husband doesn't like in the house either. Pomeranian. <laughs> Holy mofo. You got a lot of kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot. Okay. This is going to be totally random and <laughs> you can answer it or not, but I wrote this down earlier because I'm so interested, you know, especially because you're talking about, um, you'll, you'll have what you need for your mental health and the prescriptions that you're, or prescription that you're on now, but there's this, um, and being a sober person, what is your thought on the current psychedelic therapy trend? If you'd asked me several years ago, I would have been kind of shaming and I would have been like, I'm sober and like, I don't believe in that. And now I'm like doing more research and really talking to my therapist about it. And very intrigued. What I, but I want to really go on the record saying that I think there's a lot of uh, ways that this, the, these new, modalities are being used without the right care and consciousness. So if I were to go, if I were to recommend anybody to look more into the psychedelic approach, I would say, make sure you're doing it with a trained trained therapist who has a model that they're following, not just like some random guy that calls himself a shaman. Okay. Yeah, I know because I've been I'm reading a book, um, a dose of hope on that, and I just I think we've had a similar background of abusing these certain drugs. Exactly, exactly. Because I know a lot of sober people out there now, personally, that are doing a lot. Of, I, mean, I keep twitching my eye because I've got like an eyelash in my eye. So <laughs> don't, um, don't call me crazy. That was actually a chapter in the book. <laughs> yeah. So, I um, no, I, I I look. I'm a very I'm a very outspoken person, so I'll just speak loudly. I think that there's 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 so much interest that I have in in the MDMA trials that are happening and and all the work that's happening there. And just to be super clear, you cannot be on antidepressants when you do that work, nor would someone let you. But um, 
And so, but I'm, I'm definitely, I, I think I really do believe that that may be something I try out in the future when I'm, when I, when I titrate off my meds and when I'm, you know, when I'm super uh, ready for when that's the moment for me, um, because it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, ayahuasca would not be something I would do because I don't, I never liked being that, that I didn't want to did not like that feeling. I did not like that. It frightens like, me. I've I, never done it. Yeah. Yeah, I was a cocaine addict. I needed to be in control, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that the, but the, but the, the thing I am worried about is I see a lot of people doing these journeys and, you know, meeting with random shamans and people that just name themselves a shaman and doing, doing ayahuasca. And I just, that makes me nervous because I just, I just worry for the, for the folks that are, one, one, I worry about people's brain chemistry if they're just like, if these are the kinds of things that are meant to be done in very, what is it like one, two sessions, like not a lot of sessions. These are supposed to be like very temporary experiences that can have profound change on your brain. Um, but, and and the, the therapy that I've trained in, in um, internal family systems therapy is one of the modalities that is used when people are doing these kinds of uh, treatments. And so I... I'm I'm all for it, but in the right hands. Yeah, I was I, and I will just say I asked that question because I've found myself being very judgmental about it. But maybe I don't know enough about it just because I used to lose my mind in all of those drugs back in the day, um, to hide or run away from trauma. But I'm you know opening my mind. I can't say. I mean, that. I, I think that it's um, I was just like you. Know, I was like, nope, I'm sober. Blah blah blah. But I think that. There's, I think that there's, when you hear it from your therapist, like my, my therapist who's like super straight laced and, you know, knows my 16 years sober, like very, very, very protective of my sobriety. And she's like, <clears throat> you know, telling me about the, the results that occur in these one time treatments, like, and, and, and saying, you know, this could go, you take you, you know, to the next level of recovery. I'm like, I'm, I might have, I might have some buy-in there, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm open. I, I absolutely want to learn more. I also, you know, really love the work of Gabor Mate and I believe in his trauma work and he's a huge proponent of this um, psychedelic healing. And so I'm just staying open yeah. to what that looks like. Open to everything, attached to nothing. I think that was what Dr. Wayne Dyer said, right? Mm. But, um, well, well, I just want to thank you for bringing in Wayne because Wayne was my mentor and a very... Yeah dear friend and and a figure in my life that was extraordinary. And whenever I get a Wayne Dyer quote coming through, I know he's there. I know he's saying, mm. we're good. Let's keep going, girl. I love that. Keep going. I mean, you have done some powerful work. And I know from what I've seen your work over the years, how many people you've touched and how many lives you've saved and people look up to you and your mission of be bringing spirituality to everyone. We need need more Gabbies in this world. So, um, and your book comes out February 22nd. So are you going on a book tour or what's your plan? 2-22-22. I know the um, numbers. Yeah. Somebody buys this book before the 26th. They get a free full day workshop with me on the book. So that's cool. And um, I am kind of, so I've got this like virtual book event, right? That people from all over the world can join. And I'm not 
particularly going on a book tour, but I am starting to do live events again, which is like, whoa, I haven't done a live event in two years. I'm going to be on a real stage in March and then in a few real stages in March. And that's kind of bananas and exciting and terrifying at the same time. Not terrifying, just it's, you know, a muscle I haven't used it in two years. Yeah, I know. I didn't do it a long time and I just did something. You've worked with Deepak. Um, I was just in Mexico with him um, on a main stage, like live events again. It feels so good. It's amazing. It feels good, right? It does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. So, um, Gabby, where can everyone find you, find your book? Um, Go to deargabby.com forward slash happy days to learn more about the book and get the resources for the book. And then you can check out my podcast, Dear Gabby. So if you want to be workshop by me, you can tune in and, and we have live recordings. And then if not, and you want to just listen and be supported by my coaching, that's the show. And that's that's me. That's where I'm at, at Gabby Bernstein on Instagram. And yeah. Yeah. I love the podcast that you did on Dear Gabby. I think it was May 2021 for Mental Health Awareness Month, where you had a big discussion with several people um, surrounding mental health. So check that out. Go to the pod. And thank you, Gabby. Thank you for, again, for all the beautiful work you do and Mm. making this world a better place. Thank you, sister. And thank you for what you're doing. This conversation is the most important conversation to be having about mental health. So God bless you. Keep it up. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence.